Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. series on spiritual gifts. We've been in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, um, and uh, it's been really fun to see how the Lord's worked through that about what it looks like when the Holy Spirit came and when He began to work in this body of disciples that Jesus left on earth, and um, what does it mean to receive both the Holy Spirit and the power that Jesus promised the Holy Spirit has for us. And uh, so we've just been really working through that, and I had a moment um, this last week that really crystallized some of that for me that I, I want to share with you and then, um, uh, then kind of take our direction this morning. So I, I got to spend a night with some friends in Dallas um, this last week, friends that I hadn't seen in a long time, friends that were really special to me. And we're sitting there around our, I I took my two boys with me and they were swimming in the pool and we're just sitting around talking on the porch. And they were asking me a lot of questions. I've I've known them for about 20 years. They knew uh, uh, my youth pastor days and and knew who I was uh, 20 years ago in my very unfinished state as a 21-year-old youth pastor who, man, what a dangerous person, um, a 21-year-old youth pastor. And literally at one point, uh, the lady was like, Man, I can't believe, like, she's like, you had so many opinions about parenting and about all all this stuff, right, when I was single and young and dumb. And and she was like, you just seem so relaxed now and so, like, peaceful and gentle with your kids. And I'm like, praise the Lord. I don't don't feel that way all the time, but thank you. And it it was just kind of, it was cool for somebody to affirm growth over 20 years. Like, oh, I'm glad I've grown. (laughs) I'm glad I've changed from when I was 21 or 22 or even 25. And so we just sat around the circle and they were asking a lot of questions about uh, what my ministry was like today and what God was doing, what God's been doing in our church. And I got to share um, the story of this church and what God's been doing specifically over the last four years here as we have embraced the role of the Holy Spirit in the church and embraced the role of prayer and worship as an invitation to the Holy Spirit to lead and to work in the church. And it was just this, this beautiful discussion that, that it was clear the Holy Spirit was there. With the, in this discussion was even led by the Holy Spirit. And um, what I've seen is as God does that, you start to sense hunger in people. As you talk, you start, that, that really um, manifests itself in curiosity about what's God doing and what's he up to in the world. And I think especially when people hear um, that we have so many young people coming to this church, they're really curious. They're like, well, you guys have all these young people. Why are they at your church? And I get to start to share what God's been doing. And, 
And so uh, I was about in the middle of the story and one of the ladies just stopped me. She said, I'm so sorry, but I have to say this. I, I need you to pray for me. <laughs> like it went from a story about what God's doing to like this hyper personal thing. And she says, I, I just got diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. And I'm just desperate. I'm desperate for God to heal me. Like, you're sharing these stories about how God's healing people and he's working people's lives and he's doing miracles and he's awakening the church. Before we leave tonight, will you pray for me? And it was like, yes, that's what Christians do, right? When Christians gather on porches, there should always be some moment of awareness of God's presence in your midst. Like this acknowledgement that he's real, that he loves you, and that he has on offer to you his love, grace, mercy, healing, deliverance. And so I said, of course, we'll do that. So we kind of ended our night there, and it was so sweet because we just gathered around her, and she wanted to pray first. And she just started pouring out her heart to Jesus. Just And not from like, here's what I need from you, God. Just here's how much I love you. Here's how good you've been to me. You, you, I mean, she prayed these words of Psalm 103. You've pulled me out of the pit. I was walking in darkness and you shone your light on me. Now her, her story is a really hard story. She had a really hard childhood, really hard teenage years. She got pregnant in high school, married her high school sweetheart. Then over a series of years, had a, had a number of affairs, ending up with uh, an affair with a man her son's senior year of high school and left his dad and her family in the middle of her son's senior year and just had struggled, right? And had gotten so beat up by Christians along the way who just really had no answers for her problems or her pain or her struggles. Um, and to hear her worship like this was, I, I just want to say it's stunning. It was stunning. It was just like, oh, that's right. Jesus didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. He's like, I came to save sinners. I came for people whose lives are messed up and they can't manage them and they never get it together. <laughs> I, I didn't come for the ones who just get it, get it right, right after I saved them and then they clean up and they're a great example. No, like I came for those who just stumble and stumble and stumble and stumble and stumble. Um, so she's just pouring her heart out and we just get to pray for her and love on her. And um, I got in the car uh, with my boys and we just drove back to the hotel and the Holy Spirit was just all over that time and all over me. He really gave me um, a clear prayer path in the middle of that that I didn't know anything else about what was happening, but somehow what I prayed was directly tied to what she was struggling with physically. And it was, I mean, it's just amazing how God works in those situations. So I, I was just kind of like, I'm going to open my mouth, God, and trust that you'll, you'll say something of, of worth here. And, and uh, I'm going to trust your word because your word's always right. And so you just pray scripture when you don't know what else to pray because his word is always true. Um, it's on the way home I just really felt the Lord start to download some things into my spirit about this generation and about the church and about what he's doing. And it just felt so important and it felt so right. And I, I, have, such a, um, I have such a sense that God's given me a role to play in this generation. I love in, in Acts where they talk about David, it says David served the purpose of his generation and then he went to sleep with his ancestors. 
He got it, right? But Jesus, then in Matthew 11, he says, what could I compare this generation to? I played the flute and you didn't dance. I sang a dirge and you didn't weep. It was like that generation missed the purpose of God for them. They missed it. And I just don't, I don't want to miss it. What's God doing on the earth right now? I don't want to miss it. So many things are happening and it's so confusing right now to know how should I live? Where should I go? What should I do? What should I say? All these things are just ringing in our heads and I felt like God gave me this download. So this morning it's going to feel um, more like a, a prophetic word than a sermon. Um, and so there's, it's going to be rough because it's like, from my heart, stuff that God's spoken to me. And um, as I said, I had two boys with me and came home to six kids. So I didn't have a lot of time this weekend to like judge it up to make it perfect and, and awesome. But I think that's actually part of the message for us today. But God gave me this thing. He said, listen, if the church and, and in extension, if Christians and the lives of Christians don't answer these questions in this generation, we... We're in trouble. Because if we're not careful, we'll answer the questions that our culture is not asking anymore. And what happens is we become irrelevant. And it's crazy because in our search to be relevant to the world, we actually become irrelevant. Because the only way to be relevant to the world is to be relevant to God. What's his purpose in this generation? And his purpose is always relevant to human beings. Even if it seems like foolishness, right? So Paul says the gospel's foolishness to the Greeks, but to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. That's, that's what it is. And so anytime we start to feel like maybe what we're thinking or where we're going seems foolish to the world, you're like, ooh, I might be right on track. I need to check, right? But he, he gave me three questions that come directly from the Bible, from stories in the Bible. And he just said, Jonathan, I want your ministry, I want this church, and I want the lives of your people to be direct answers to these questions. Um, Leslie Newbegin, who is a uh, missiologist, he said it this way. He says, um, the life uh, of the church should be an answer to the question, right, that, that the world's asking at the deepest part. Like, we should live in a way that answers this question that Jesus becomes the answer <laughs> through us to these heart questions that people have. Amen. I gotcha. Me too, buddy. Me too. Me too. So question number one. Um, and, and again, these questions like literally like dropped into my head. And so I didn't like research and go like, what are, what are, what's happening in the world? It was just like, the Lord just like, here's number one. And the question is this, is there a balm in Gilead? Is there a balm in Gilead? If you grew up in church, you've probably heard that phrase. It's from Jeremiah 8. Where he says, since my people are crushed, I am crushed. I mourn and horror grips me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no healing for the wound of my people? So the balm of Gilead was just a resin that they made in the, in the land of Gilead, which is east of the Jordan River in the mountains. It's present day Jordan. And they would take this resin and they would make this balm that had healing attributes and they would put it on wounds and they would use it in all sorts of ways. It was like this incredible substance that God made to bring healing. And the Lord just spoke. He said, like, that's the, the, the question the world is asking right now. Is there any balm for my wounds? Is there healing 
anymore for the things I struggle with, for my sin, for my shame, for the abuse I've received, for the addiction I battle. Is there a balm in Gilead? Question that I, I just kept coming to this core question. Can I be healed? Can I be healed? Like, does Jesus answer that question? Does the church demonstrate the answer to that question? Is there power available for this? We just saying there's power in the name of Jesus. We can sing it, but can we show it? Is there a demonstration that if you come to Jesus, he has power to save, to heal, to deliver, to restore? I love the Old Testament. It's like, what the locusts have eaten, I will restore. <laughs> but even more, I won't even just go back to where you're zero. I'll actually go beyond because I have power over everything, over creation. This is a core question of the world today is, is with all the stuff, because friends, I just got this thing, this like picture that we live in the midst of reckless people. We might live in the most reckless generation the world has ever seen. In how we speak, in how we use our bodies, in the things we give our hearts and our minds to, we, we live in one of the most reckless generations where the only thing that matters is how I feel or what I want to be true, not what is actually true in reality. And where people are reckless, things get wrecked and things get ruined and people get injured and people are struggling. So all the things we see in our culture right now, we see anxiety, we see stress, we see fear, we see anger, we see all that stuff comes from reckless living comes from an entire nation of prodigals who are just saying, give me my inheritance so that I can go to a far country and spend it how I want. As if there were no consequences to what I think or how I behave, what I do. And so what we're left with is we're left with a society full of broken people who are searching for healing. So Billy Graham had a... Um, a generation who actually, what they were asking is, is there a heaven and can I go there when I die? Right? Is, can I know that I go to heaven when I die? Why are they asking that? Because elementary schools were having like nuclear war drills. <laughs> They're like, this world could end tomorrow. If everybody shoots their nukes, we're all going to die. Is there anything past this life? And Billy Graham stands up in the middle of that generation and goes, Yes. And you see, you see the church in the 40s, 50s, and 60s explode in attendance. But guess what, friends? Our, our generation's not asking, can I go to heaven when I die? Remember I said they're reckless, so they're not even thinking that they can die. They're like, ah, I'm going to live forever. I'm going to live till 120. That's so far in the future. But what they are thinking about is I am in pain. Is there any answer to my pain? Is there balm in Gilead? Second question the Lord gave me was, is there bread in the house? Is there bread in the house? This comes from Ruth. Ruth, we find Ruth in Bethlehem. And it says there's a famine in Bethlehem. So they leave and they go to Moab. Do you know what the Bethlehem literally means? It literally means house of bread. <laughs> there was no bread in the house of bread. So everyone left. And then what happens? They hear a rumor that there's 
food back in Israel. And so they return to Israel. Like, I hear there's bread in the house. So this is interesting because this is more of a spiritual application. That in the temple, on the ark, forever and ever, God declared that there should be bread in my presence that represents who I am. They literally called it the bread of his presence. Or you could actually say, they called it, like if you do a literal, literal translation, it's face bread. This bread is meant to represent the face of God, that he is in this place and we can come and meet him face to face. He's real and his presence can meet us and his presence changes everything. I think that's a heart cry of this generation. Is God real and can I meet him? If you say Jesus rose from the dead and he's alive, can I meet him? Can I experience him? Can I know him? Not in theory, but in reality, does he still manifest his presence on the earth? Because that's what the Bible promises. God says, I want to dwell in your midst. From the garden to the tabernacle in the wilderness, right? To the temple, to Jesus in the flesh and blood, to the church through the Holy Spirit. He's like, I want to be with you. So what we have is we have a whole generation disconnected from God's presence. And so friends, it's like this thing about taking... um, Something that's core and removing it and that thing can never get to what it's actually meant to be unless you restore that central piece. We're made to house God's presence. And when we remove God's presence from our life, we do all sorts of things. And we go all sorts of places looking for that thing to fill it. You know, generation before called it the God-shaped hole, right? Like I, I, like I, I don't know how to put it, but what I know is that human beings without the presence of God, we just can't get it right. We are created to be connected to his presence and we long to be reconnected. And without it, we live in this angst and this fear and this anger. And I think the question is, is God real and can I meet him? Right? Is God real and can I meet him? And the problem is, is if we promise that God's real and you can meet him and they come to church and they don't, they're like, I came to church and I didn't, I didn't feel anything supernatural. I didn't see anything. I, you know what I mean? I just, I just came and it's just a group of people, just like my name. Like the church is meant to be filled with his presence. Moses says, that's what sets us apart from all other peoples. So the first one is, is there a balm? Is there healing for my pain, for my sin, for my shame. The second question is, I, I think people are actually asking, and, and again, this question gets covered up with all sorts of other language, but that's the core of it. The core of the question is, is God real and can I meet him? Can I know that God's real? Can God go from being a theory and a concept and an abstract to what Paul says, like, I met Jesus on that road. Can I know him in experience? And then the last one is, um, is there a birthright <laughs> and a blessing for me? So we find Jacob and Esau, right? Esau comes in from a far country. He's hungry. He says to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that stew. I'm famished. G- Jacob, sensing opportunity, says, first, sell me your birthright. Sell me your, what, what? it's just crazy because Esau is an example of this generation. He's reckless, in his hunger and his desire for a good thing, he sells a better thing. And literally, he sells the best thing he possesses. 
for a cup of stew. And we just, I, I mean, friends, all you got to do is turn on Twitter, watch the news, gather some of your friends together, and you will just hear story of story after story of people selling their birthright for a momentary pleasure, right? For an idea that seems like it might fulfill and it doesn't. So Jacob gave Esau some bread and some stew. He ate and drank, then got up and left. And listen what, what happened. He despised his birthright. So part of what's happening in our midst is people who they despise God in many ways in the church because they've sold their birthright, because they've given it away. And so it's manifesting itself in hostility towards God, towards the church, towards Christians, which is understandable. But this birthright, but not just that, Esau went even further. He not only sold his birthright, he actually ends up losing his blessing. And there's interesting, as one gets given away, the other one gets taken. And that's the story, right, of human beings in the world. Some things we give away, we make mistakes, we make bad decisions, and then we compound them with more bad decisions and more bad decisions. And that's our problem, and we've got to come to grips with the parts of our life that are out of order because of us. And our world now wants to blame everybody else for the things that we've chosen. But then you have the other side, which there are some things in your life that get stolen. It wasn't your choice. Things happen to you that are out of your control that you wouldn't choose. That, uh, and, and again, we have an enemy who's powerful. He's working nonstop to steal, kill, and destroy your entire life. And so he loses his blessing because Jacob goes in and takes it. Esau shows up after Isaac blesses him and his father says, who are you? And he says, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. And Isaac says, who was it then that hunted this game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, bless me too, my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. And they asked this question, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? And Isaac answered Esau, I've made him Lord over you and over all of his relatives. I've sustained him with grain and new wine, so what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too. And he wept aloud. So we have in our midst people whose blessing has been stolen and it's interesting that Isaac didn't have the power to restore the blessing. He didn't have human power to restore this thing. But it's interesting, these, these two things. So birthright is about your position. And blessing is about your purpose. About feeling blessed. This is why we do blessing with our kids' ministry. We want to bless people so that they can go into the world with purpose, confidence, security in that purpose to go and be who God's called them to be. But you have this position and this purpose, and both of them get ruined. And so you have this question can my identity be restored? <laughs> this thing that either I have marked it up or somebody else has marked it up, can it get restored? Can I have a place to stand in the world? If you have birthright, you have this place that you're like, I am my father's son. <laughs> and I can stand in this place. Even if the world rages all around me, I know who I am. I have this right from birth. 
So he asked, can it be restored? And can I recover my purpose? And can I live holy again? Like, not holy, H-O-L-Y, W-H-O-L-L-Y. Can, can I be blessed by God? Can his blessing come back to my life? Those three questions have just been, man, they've just been rattling around in my head. And so I just have this thing where I just want to say, is there a balm in Gilead? Yes, yes. His name's Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus is the balm of Gilead. He's the Messiah, which actually means Mashiach in Hebrew, which means anointed one. He is covered in balm. <laughs> That's who he is. He carries it with him. Isaiah 35 predicted that he would come with healing for the blind and deaf and lame, that he would raise the dead. Malachi prophesied that there'd be healing in his wings. That's talking about his prayer shawl. They called the edge of the prayer shawl wings. And so what did the lady grab when she needed to be healed? It said she grabbed the hem, the edge of his garment. And in that moment, that prophecy got fulfilled. Jesus carries healing, not just in his purpose, person, even in his clothes. <laughs> the stuff Jesus puts on carries his healing. That's amazing. But he's not just balm for our bodies. He's also balm for our souls. So he didn't just heal the sick, right? And uh, heal the lame and the blind and the deaf and cast out demons. He healed people's hearts. He restored them. You have people who, uh, right, where like Chase said last week in Luke 8, where demons cast out of them and the next moment they're sitting at his feet as a disciple in clean clothes and in their right mind and everybody's going like, wait a second, wasn't that, hold on. <laughs> right, that should be the church. It should be like, people show up and go, wait, that guy on the prayer team, I knew him before, what happened? Um, and this has happened to me as I went and visited uh, towns that I lived in as a teenager, and people are like, you're a pastor? What? God is real, right? Like, man, this is, there's a balm in Gilead. Like, there's healing. Like, God can work. We find Jesus, the sinful woman, washes his feet in tears, and he just wraps her up in love, and he defends her in the midst of her enemies, the people who would want to cast her away, the woman caught in adultery, you have Zacchaeus, you have the 12 disciples who are nobodies, and yet Jesus brings them in and says, I'm giving you authority. <laughs> what I have, I'm going to put in you. You can go and do all these things. You have the man before. So there is a balm in Gilead. Jesus has power to heal, to restore, to deliver, to save Second question, is there bread in the house? Jesus says, I am bread. <laughs> I am the presence of God. John 6, Jesus says, eat of me and you'll never be hungry. Again, like I am, that's who I am. I am the presence of God. And you can meet me. And because he sent his Holy Spirit, that presence didn't disappear when he left the earth. He sent him to live in us so that other people through us would experience the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Is there birthright and blessing? Jesus came to restore that. He literally came to restore your birthright and your blessing. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with what? Every spiritual blessing in Christ. Anything the enemy has stolen for you, Jesus has kept in reserve and will pour it out in greater measure. 
He, he literally, he loves to meet people who have lost their blessing and say, oh, come on, come to me. Because I have storehouses of this stuff. If you'll just come to me, lay it all down, give me your little, I will give you my excess, my abundance. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have what? Lost all things. I consider those things lost rubbish now that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Having a righteousness not that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Paul got something better. After losing, he gained all that God had. He said, for all the righteousness I attempted through the law, I let it go. And now I consider it garbage. And look, the righteousness of God lives in me. It's mine in Jesus. Hmm. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ. Isn't that amazing? Like, he's like, all the fullness that dwelt in Jesus now, through the Holy Spirit, lives in you. The question is, how much do you want to know about it? (laughs) You mean, like, how much do you want to open yourself up to this thing that God has done Hmm. So what does all this show, right? Jesus is the answer to every question. He's the end of every pursuit. He's the fulfillment of every desire. Jesus is the point. He's the beginning and the end. He's Alpha and Omega. He's the lamb who was slain. He's the conquering king. He's our high priest. (laughs) Jesus is everything. So the question I've been wrestling with which is about, we know that about Jesus, right? And we know that he has answers to those questions. But the, the next question is, does my life demonstrate these truths? So what struck me is in the middle of that little meeting on the porch, this lady identified God doing something in me and asked me to share it. It was like, whatever the Holy Spirit's doing in you and in your church and, and this stuff, can you give some to me? And it's like, of course, right? That's, it's, it's meant to be shared. But the point is, is that it's like, man, isn't that cool? That God, the life of God can live so richly in you that others can identify it and they, they'll, they'll start to ask. And that sounds like Jesus, right? Jesus just got in rooms with people and people are like, wait, hold up. <laughs> this guy teaches with authority. He has power. Like, I, I just need, I need that in my life. Can they find that in us? And the next question is, can they find it if they come here? If someone says like, I know that I need a balm for healing. I know that I need birthright and blessing. I know that I need bread. I'm desperate for God's presence. Can I go to a church and find those things? Readily evident. So Paul says, I didn't come to you with eloquent words and wise speech. I came with you with a demonstration of the power of God and the Holy Spirit. That's what convinces people of who Jesus is. It's not just words. And here, here's, here's what I see as a problem. And this is, this is a little bit maybe preaching to the choir, but I felt like the Lord said, we need to say it. We need to talk about it. It's most churches are organized for the comfort of the already convinced. Right? It's the synagogue model. We all believe the same thing. We all love the Bible. Let's just get together in a room and talk about it. So if we organize the church around the preference of Christians, we'll have no answers to the needs of the world. 
So the world will show up in our pews looking for power, for healing, for, for identity restoration, for his presence, and what they'll find is doctrine. And doctrine's good. Doctrine comes from God, but doctrine cannot save you. It cannot heal you. It will not meet you in your pain. It will not reveal itself to you in dreams. That is Jesus. <laughs> he is the answer. The silver lining for us is that if we are all honest about the needs of Christians today, we have the same needs as those of the world. Because we live in the world and we have acquired pain and we have lost things and we have experienced tragedy and trauma and difficulty. And so we're showing up too. But if we're not careful and we just focus on the thing, what it does is it trains Christians to fake it. Come to church and be shiny, happy people. Come to church and lead your little Bible study and do all this stuff, but don't dig in. Because underneath that thing, I have so many doubts about who God is. And I'm just trying to like, keep them under the surface because it feels like if I admit it, I'm going to lose my faith. And Jesus is going to, no, 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 no. (laughs) I told you, if you lose that, you'll gain everything. If you lose your life, you'll actually gain me. But here's the problem. If we have already organized the church one way, then to, to do it another way is to admit it's not working, not only for the world, but for us as well. And, and I just wrote this phrase down. You can tweet it. Repentance is hard, y'all. And quote that. I just came up with that. Repentance. Changing directions for humans is so hard. And for church leaders, it might be the hardest people in the world to get them to change their mind. Because for me in 2018 to realize that our church was organized around the wrong things was to admit that I had led us to a place that God couldn't bless anymore. And that's painful and embarrassing to be like, if I keep doing this, I'm going to lose my blessing and my birthright because I got to follow Jesus. I've got to listen to the Holy Spirit. Nobody wants to admit they're wrong. But I can't tell you how many people I've met who ask me about... um, how we've seen so much fruit in our church over the past four years, but when I tell them their face just kind of goes like, oh. Because asking a church to give up their programming in search of the one thing is the same as asking the rich young ruler to give up all his possessions. Asking a church to reorganize itself around the presence and power of Jesus through the Holy Spirit is literally like asking a rich man to sell all his stuff. It just feels impossible and it feels so risky and it feels like, what are we going to (laughs) do? If we give away all of our stuff, how are we going to pay our bills? What's going to happen? Who's going to teach? Who's going to, how are people going to connect all this stuff? And God just kept promising to me, Jonathan, one thing's necessary. My promise to Mary is the same promise to you today. One thing is necessary and it's me. I'm going to invite the band back up. We're going to pray. So band, you can come back up. I don't know if you're in here, but nobody moved. (laughs) But this is why we're teaching on the spiritual gifts, okay? Because if we're a church that's hoping to give balm and bread and blessing and birthright, we desperately need the power of God to be in our midst, Right? We desperately need the power of God to be in our midst.
So I want you to close your eyes for just a second. I want to do a thought experiment. Close your eyes. Take a second. I want you to think about a, um, one friend that you have who you know has walked away from faith. Walked away from faith. I want you to see their face, speak their name in your heart. They grew up in a Christian family and they just, they're like, I'm done with church. I'm done with Christians. I'm just over it. Got that face? That name? Now I want you to think about a Christian friend who's like not giving up their faith, but they've just become apathetic. And they're just kind of like, ah, I, I get it. I live in Oklahoma. We're all Christians. It's no big deal. And they, they literally have just kind of given in to like eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Life should just be enjoyed. And um, they've just kind of checked out. They've lost their passion. Lukewarmness has come. Another, I want you to think of somebody in your life who, who is just... Uh, the way the Bible describes is this, like just a pagan, just someone who has no in, in, in experience with church, didn't, wasn't raised in a Christian family, and just has no concept of who Jesus is, who God is, what the church is. Do you have somebody in your life like that? Now holding those kind of three distinct people, together. What is it that would cause them to fall on their knees, believe in their heart, and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord? What is it? Because friends, if all we're trying to do is get Christians from one church to come to our church, we just need you know, better music, better preaching, cooler building, better kids ministry, all that stuff. It's all stuff that we can just do. But if you have somebody who has walked away from their faith and rejected it, if you have somebody, think of a friend right now who's just walking in addiction, in abuse. Oh man, they're in prison right now. They're in a far country. Better kids programming, better preaching, better music will not touch that part of them. What will touch it? They need the power of God. power of God in their life. They need Damascus Road. They need Jesus looking up and seeing Zacchaeus and be like, come out of that tree. I'm coming to your house tonight. Salvation has come to your house tonight. He showed up. They need the power of God. So ask yourself this question as how will they experience it? <laughs> Paul says, how will they hear if no one preaches? Your life is to preach the power of God. And this isn't about trying harder. This isn't about works. This isn't about laying a burden on you. It's about like actually giving up your burden and letting him take over. 
if those three people, those three people you distinctly saw, you have their names, what if in the next six weeks, all three of them showed up going like, I had an encounter with the Almighty God. My life has changed. I want to come to your church. I want to give my life. I want to give half my money away because God just wrecked me. I was like, what if that happened? That's the story of Christianity. That's our story. We've lost the plot of our own story if we're not seeing that happen in our churches. And so the only answer is to repent, is to say, God, I'm so sorry that I got so used to living outside of your power, your might. power poured out in my life. I want to see your power poured out through my life. I want to see your power poured out in the church because, man, I don't have what it takes to save that person. I can't convince them with clever arguments. is if you, insert your name, you say yes to his power taking over your life. You saying yes to the invitation of the upper room, which Jesus says, wait until you have power. I will not send you out until you have power. So if you don't feel the power yet, just wait. But how do you wait? You wait in places like this. They waited together. They waited in prayer. They waited in community. They waited in expectation that Jesus was going to fulfill the promise. So I just want to say, I'm not satisfied with Skyline growing because Christians leave one church to come to this one because we're awesome. in our midst, which Jesus says looks like sinners being saved, the sick being healed, the dead being raised, those who are oppressed by the demonic getting delivered, and cities getting turned upside down. And when that happens, the poor rejoice, and the downcast lift their heads that place, there's no Greek or Jew, slave or free, male or free and female. There's just this family who is so intent on loving their master that they forget everything else. And that's where healing happens. That's where reconciliation happens. That's where justice takes place is in his family and that justice in his family can start to pour out into the world but if it doesn't happen here it will not happen there so do you feel it right now in your heart the way I felt it that night saying Jesus Jonathan I want your life to answer these questions I want to 
to demonstrate my power through you. Not because you're awesome, but because you're weak. And in your weakness, my grace is sufficient and my power is made perfect because you don't know what you're doing. And when you don't know what you're doing, you go to the one who knows. 